welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. We are going through the book of Mark verse by verse. Uh, line by line, uh, we feel that, uh, that it's important, and man, it is so important for the season that we are in. Uh, I'm, I'm loving Mark uh, chapter 2. Um, a couple of announcements, though, just while you're, while you're getting that ready. If not, we'll have, I think we'll have it on the screen. But a couple of announcements is, one, this Wednesday is First Wednesday Worship. So, yeah, if you want to come join us this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, um, I have a picture, actually. Pastor Jeremy is going to be with us. So, uh, Pastor Jeremy is flying in from Florida. He's going to be preaching. If you don't know who Pastor Jeremy is, I, I have a picture somewhere. Yeah, he's the guy right down here in the leather jacket. It's the most flattering pic I could find of him. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's setting up his church. He's a set-up-and-tear-down church every Sunday uh, in Sebring, Florida, and they're actually, this morning, they're meeting in the parking lot because I guess they, the, the building's not working quite correctly right now due to some recent weather. So we were praying for them, praying for their church. Uh, it seems that um, some of their church members are dealing with loss of home and, and, and things like that, but physically they're all safe through the hurricane, so thank God for that. I was texting him that night. I was watching on the radar as it was, he's a little more inland. Uh, he's not on the coast, but um, anyway, we, we uh, are thankful. <laughs> you can take that off. I don't want to see his face every time I turn around. Uh, he can, <laughs> he's like, eh. um, Anyway, uh, we're, we're thankful for them and for you all supporting financially. We've been supporting them financially and then sending various um, pastors over there to help them uh, with different things. I was just over there just a few weeks ago preaching, celebrating their one-year birthday. And um, now they're in a parking lot under some shade with... Uh, with some acoustic guitars, man, and some speakers, and that's, that's all you need. And so I, I text him this morning. I'm like, man, I'm praying for you as you go set up church in a parking lot. Uh, that's, that's, that's hardcore right there. That's, that's, that's the church of God. That's what we do. Uh, when, we, when I was in Louisiana and Hurricane Katrina came through uh, New Orleans, man, uh, we immediately turned our attention. We were in Pineville, Louisiana. We turned our attention to New Orleans because it really wasn't, the hurricane really wasn't the big issue. It was more that the levees broke and flooded everything, and that was the major issue. And so for months, we were down there um, definitely every Sunday and then multiple times throughout the week helping rebuild. And, and uh, I met in a lot of parking lots. We had church in a lot of parking lots and tents. And, th- and, and this is talking like well into the winter. So it was like January. We're, I remember we're in a parking lot and it's like 45 degrees outside. And man, it was cold, but that place was packed and we had the heaters standing up, you know. We're just dancing with water running underneath because it was raining. Water's running underneath the tent. And, uh, but the church of God continues. Church of God keeps holding out the hope of Jesus and helping our neighbors. Um, so yeah, we, we might actually organize some kind of trip to go over there and, 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 and help them. We've been talking to John about that. 
but anyway, we want to be, uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so uh, we're thankful for Awakened Church and everything that they're doing. Um, he's going to be here with us. So he's going to fly out and he's going to be here with us uh, this Wednesday. And then also today, immediately after service, if you're new to City Chapel, we're going to have a newcomer's uh, lunch meal with my wife and I right over here at Macho Taco. So we're going to treat you to some tacos. We're going to pull up some chairs and just let you get to know us a little bit better, ask some questions and share our history and uh, where like things that are important to us, what we believe. And if you'd like to join us, that's just immediately after church. So uh, whenever we get, whenever I get done preaching around four o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to going to head over there. Anyway, um, Mark chapter 2. Let's go ahead and read. Mark cha- Some of you are like, he'll do it. He'll do it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum. This is Jesus. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Come on, somebody. And uh, when it's heard that he is in the house, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Now, just for context, this is probably not a huge house. We don't know whose house this is, but it's probably not a large house. There weren't a lot of large houses in Capernaum. And uh, this is an ancient Middle, Middle Eastern house, uh, which means it's, it's sort of mud-built, clay-built, um, probably about 15 feet wide by 15 feet deep, just sort of a square built into the side of a mountain, typically. Uh, one story, so it's not huge, uh, but it's, it's packed. Jesus is there, people are gathering. And I love this next sentence. It says, and he preached the word to them. Uh, I love that, I guess, because I'm a preacher uh, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I love it because I've never noticed what I'm noticing now. This is the great thing about, about walking slowly through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, word by word, line by line. It's cool. You start picking up on stuff that you never picked up on before. And so one of the things I've been picking up on here over the last couple of months that we've been walking through chapter one is Mark is really, really... Uh, obsessed with that sentence right there. He preached the word to them. This is like super important to Mark throughout chapter one. And now we're starting chapter two and oh, there he is again, preaching the word to them. In fact, almost all of Jesus's miracles in Mark chapter one, and now this one in Mark chapter two. And by the way, the next one in the next verses that we're going to talk about next week, all come out of preaching the word. I've never picked up on that, and I've never heard any other pastors pick up on that, but I think they're really missing a really key point here, because what happens is Jesus, he's baptized in the Jordan in early, early chapter one of Mark. He's taken out into the wilderness. He's tempted by the enemy. He, he comes back with, with power. He recruits his disciples, and the very next thing we know, he's in a synagogue, and he's preaching. He's teaching. And this introduces one of Mark's key themes is that Jesus has authority. He has a, teaches with authority. And you're going to see that woven throughout the book of Mark. But not only that, he's preaching. And in the middle of his sermon, Jesus performs his first miracle in the gospel of Mark. It's not technically his first miracle, but from Mark's perspective, he says, look, this is when it got exciting. When Jesus started teaching in the middle of his sermon, there is a demon possessed guy in the back of the church who starts crying out leave us alone. What are you doing? Your, your preaching is really bothering me. And so this, this is great. Jesus' preaching actually frustrates demons. 
I love that kind of preaching. We need more of that kind of preaching. Not the kind that comforts saints, but the kind that, 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 that confronts demonic powers. And so there's a guy who apparently was happy going to this church. He liked this church. He brought all of his friends to this church. He was down with this church until Jesus started preaching. Then all of a sudden he says, wait a minute, what have we to do with you? Who asked you to come here? Like, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you messing up my nice church? So, man, when your demons are comfortable in church, that's not good. But when your demons start getting uncomfortable, that means that the real clear word of God is being presented to you. And there's power in that. There's absolute power and the pre in the presentation of the word of God. They're not singing. They're not, they don't have their hands up, right? Hillsong isn't hitting that power chord going from D to G, like, and then back and then back and then back. And back. Like, no, like this is in the middle of preaching. Now, now, now those of you that like, I'm, I'm 42 years old. So I grew up like in the eighties and back in the eighties, our worship songs were so terrible. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to be real. There was a couple people like Keith Green. He was doing some wonderful things. But for the most part, we were like, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm from my holy mountain. And my mom was a flag lady. And they would be dancing around. And it's like, it was, it was okay. Right? It was okay. But it, like, it, it really lacked some stuff. So I love our new stuff. I love some of the depth and some of the power. And I, I'm, I'm into all of that. But what would happen back in the 80s is like our worship was kind of like a prep for the preaching. And so some people would show up late, not you all, but some people would show up <laughs> late because they didn't want to be a part of the worship. They wanted to get there for the word. And so they'd show up when the preacher started because that's kind of when it started. But actually the real power was afterward. You guys remember that? The real power, the preacher's done preaching. Then he says, if you want to come forward and receive your healing, if you want to come forward and receive your blessing, if you want to come forward and be saved, right? And Billy Graham's up there, just as I am without wanting. Like it was, <laughs> it was after the preaching that God really moved and God did really move. I'm not negating any of that, but I'm just, I'm old enough to start seeing some, some, some trends. Where it's like people, because I believe God will move oftentimes in response to people's faith. And so if they're trained to believe the only place that God can set them free and deliver them is when they come, kneel their head down at, a, down at an altar, then that's where their faith will be. And, they, and God will move. God will respond to that. But I, I, I just feel like there's so much more that can happen. Like in the middle of the clear presentation of the word of God. There can be miracles happening. Demons can be cast out. Cancer can be healed. And so nowadays it's almost swung more to the worship portion of the service. Like this is where I'm going to receive my blessing. This is where I'm going to receive my healing. And absolutely it can happen. But the truth is like, I want to expand your faith a little bit to believe that actually in the presentation of the word of God, something can happen and shift inside of me right now, like today. Like as I'm pre presenting the Bible, as I'm reading scripture, as I'm explaining it to you, as you understand the word of God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. And so this is, this, is, this is something I'm noticing that Jesus, he's teaching in the synagogue. The guy gets delivered from demons. Then he goes home and he heals. And from that day, like a bunch of healings happened after that on that day. Uh, that day and then that evening. Jesus wakes up the next morning. He's praying. And what does, what does his father tell him? He says he needs to go into other towns and preach.
Not heal, not deliver, not set free, but preach. I need to keep delivering and presenting the unadulterated, pure word of God to people. And so he does that. And sure enough, the very next verse, after it says that he is doing that, we come to the passage that I preached on last week where there is a man with leprosy. And so it's like as he's preaching, there's a man with leprosy who says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Why? Because as he's presenting the word of God, faith is rising up inside of even the people in the back behind the partitions, right? And so this is God's plan that his, the preaching of his word, not just the altar time, not just the singing time, but the actual presentation of the word of God can be a moment of power and the miraculous, so I'm fired up about that because here Jesus is again preaching the word. This is the context of the miracle that happens. He's, he's preaching the word. So if we're going to keep going, I got to keep going. So verse 3, they came to him bringing a paralytic or somebody who's paralyzed who was carried by four men. I, I think in other translations it talks about him being on a mat. Uh, the, the, the actual word there is, is more of a, uh, like, a, like a rug. Uh, like a blanket. So um, just, just so you have a picture in your mind, these four men, well, it says they came to him with four men carrying a man who was paralyzed. So they is not just four guys, and it's not just four guys plus the guy who's in the blanket, but it's actually, I believe that there's this, this crowd coming. There's family members, there's uh, former uh, first grade teachers, there's people who are connected to the man in the blanket. And I say blanket because I think sometimes whenever I've read this in the past, I've read about a mat, and I've kind of thought like a stretcher almost, like a, a cot. But, but when you look at, the, at the, the Greek word, it literally just means something that you could fold up and put in a closet. So it's very much like a rug, I suppose, a thick blanket. Uh, when I was a kid, my, my, when I was little, my, my dad used to wrestle with us and he would do this thing he would call a sack of potatoes where he'd like throw a blanket around us and like, like wrap us up in it and throw us on his back, you know, and then swing us around and chuck us into the couch, you know. So that's just the picture I have in my, no, you guys didn't do that? Okay, well, that was just a Michigan thing, maybe, I don't know. That's why my dad has a bad back, maybe, I don't know, like... I didn't do it too much with my kids, but, but it was just like, like that's just, that's the picture I have that you have four friends, each with the corner of this, this thick blanket and a paralyzed man who's kind of crumpled up into the blanket, you know, cause he can't sit up straight and it's a blanket. Even if you're fully functioning, being carried on a blanket is not really a very thick substance. And so, you know, I think a lot of people can barely even see the guy in the blanket. But there's this crowd, and this is what they see. They see them. They see they came with four men carrying a man uh, who is paralyzed. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed, but they're carrying him to Jesus. They came to him. They came to Jesus. This is their, their object of their faith. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, by the way, that, 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 that word to come near him is the only time this is used in the, in the New Testament. It's interesting. It's the only time. They couldn't even like get close enough to him because of the crowd. How many of you know sometimes the people surrounding Jesus are the biggest blockade to getting to Jesus? <laughs> some of the people who are in the <laughs> some of the people who are in the house aren't ready to give up their seat for somebody else who would want to get in because they came to the door and it's crowded and those people turned around you know they had to have turned around I'm like no buddy I got here first 
It's really sad to me when principles that are operational in the world start operating within the church. Anyway, they're blocking. They're the, they're the, the, the blockade to new people coming in. Sometimes the greatest blockade to new people are people that have been there forever and they, they are like, they're like a tree firmly planted, right? They shall not be moved. And it's like, man, I wish you would. I really wish, I wish you would just move because cause people, because you're blocking people. Standing there, guarding at the door, making sure only the right people come in. Only the healthy people come in. Only the non-smelly people come in. Hmm. <laughs> so they couldn't come near him. In other words, they couldn't get within eyesight eye of him because of the crowd. So they uncovered the roof where he was. How many of you have heard this story or read it before? You, you're familiar. Nice. So, some, so most of you, some of you have never heard this story before? Sweet. That's awesome. Kaylin, you never heard this story before. Okay. All right. No, it's one of those things. This is, this is the hardest part about preaching this story is that I've heard it so many times. And I've preached it a couple times myself. And it's so difficult. I wish I could have never heard it before. I just, I just, I, I wondered that, I wonder what that's like. Because if you Google this story, if you go on YouTube and you, you, you YouTube this story, you're going to, Judas Smith preaches on this like multiple times, like Stephen Furtick, like everybody and their mother and father have preached on the, the chosen did a whole deal. Like everybody's talked about this. And so sometimes it's like, I've heard these, all these different angles and all these different stories. And so it can be very difficult to try to read it for the first time. But the, 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 the readers that were originally reading this, they were reading this for the first time. And there's a story where these men carrying a man who's paralyzed can't get in the door. And so they uncovered the roof. And so contextually, you need to understand that ancient Middle Eastern houses had roofs that were flat. And uh, basically, the size of the house was the size of the roof, right? So it's just a square structure. Usually, the house was square. And on top of the house was this roof structure that was really more fortified than our roofs because it was intended, it was like the front porch of the ancient world. It was intended for people to sit on the roof and hang out. So for them to climb up on the roof, this wasn't a weird thing. Actually, this is not odd. They didn't have to like bring a ladder and put it up on the side of the house and get a rope around somebody's waist and super sketchy. Like, it's not like that at all. They actually, when they built houses, they would usually build stairs on the outside of the house leading up to the roof because it was so common. This was a place where you would hang out in the cool of the day. So when the sun starts going down and it's kind of nice outside, that's when you and your family go up on the roof, kick your feet back, drink some lemonade, some iced tea, whatever you do. And like you talk to your neighbors who are also on their roofs. So it's the front porch of the ancient world. This is where you would hang out. This is where Jesus met with Nicodemus, right? He met on his roof because that's where you would meet in the, at, at night, in the evening. Now in the daytime, you don't meet up there because you fry like bacon in the, in the Middle Eastern sun. But in the, in, in, in the evening time, when it's better weather during the winter, you hang out on the roof. And in fact, like they would store things on the roof. So they'd get jars and stuff because they don't have big houses. And so anything that could be protected within a jar or something could be stored on 
the roof. And so the roof actually was, it was made of a fairly thick material, uh, even though the whole house technically is made of mud, you know, but it was pretty thick material reinforced with, 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 with straw and thatch and different things. And oftentimes grass would start growing on the roof because it was like so thick and it had so much mud, you know? And so you would have just almost like a, a garden-esque kind of situation. And then there were they would build a little wall about two foot all the way around the roof I, I think so little kids didn't fall off maybe I don't know it's just kind of like a little porch area so when they said hey let's go to the roof this wasn't necessarily incredibly weird there were stairs it was all ready to go and actually usually there would be an access door from the roof into the house technically from the house into the roof is kind of the way it would go and so it would, it would open from the inside and it would lock and you could swing it down it would be on hinges and that way when the house started filling up with smoke because somebody was burning the turkey uh, you know smoke would would go on out the top or heat could go out the top right and so when they said hey let's go to the roof when it says they uncovered the roof most scholars believe that that's referring to this hatch to this to this door now the door was probably locked because Jesus is inside. It doesn't say that the door is open. And so the door is probably locked from the inside. So for them to uncover or for them to open the door is kind of a difficult thing because there would be a, like a sliding bolt almost, like a wooden sliding bolt that would lock it in, which means you've got to stand up there and like pound on the thing and break it, break it open. So this, just so you have an understanding of what's happening, this is the picture when they said they uncovered the roof and it says so when they had broken through and that 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 term broken through in the Greek means when they had pulled up like scooped up and and it, it's it's a picture of taking the mud out so they busted through the the door but apparently that wasn't uh, big enough it might have been like a two foot by two foot sort of sort of hole almost like going into the attic if that's too small to lower this 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 poor man through Apparently it was. They had to start breaking it up. They had to break through. And then they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. They let down the mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, and that is key, he saw the faith of those that were carrying him. I believe he saw the faith of the man uh, on the mat. And he saw the faith of the crowd that had brought the man and the four men to him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, and that's key, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, not saying it out loud, but in their minds. And this is what they were saying to themselves. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in the spirit that they reasoned this way within themselves. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? In other words, Jesus is saying, look, can humans do either of those things? <laughs> I think in our context, you would say, which is more difficult? Jesus said, which is easier? In other words, only God can forgive sins, and that's true. But only God can raise up people who are paralyzed and make them fully healthy. Jesus is pointing out the fact that had he healed the man, nobody would have said anything. They would have said, wow, wow, woo, woo. But yet he does something else that only God can do. And they're like, oh, no, no, I don't know. No, that's not where it goes now. He's not condemning the religious leaders and the scribes. He is calling to them. In other words, he's preaching. 
And instead of using like a text, he's using a demonstration. He's using a, 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 a physical example of what he's doing. And so he says, which is easier? Like if I did one or did the other? He says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, dot, dot, dot. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. That's a good, that's a good day. So today I want to talk to you about what I think is the key to this passage. Like I say, I've preached this passage uh, at Promised Land, for instance. Um, I talked about how we are bringers. Right? So the four men brought their friend to Jesus. So I talked about how it's our job to bring people to Jesus. And um, I think that's true, and I think that's fine. Uh, a lot of other preachers focus on the fact that Jesus told them to pick up his mat, right, and to carry it with him as a testimony of what God has done for him. Judah Smith spent an hour and 10 minutes on that. I was like, for real? You want to spend? Wow, okay. So, you know, like different preachers, like they focus on the mat thing. Some of us focus on the bringer thing. At uh, one time when I was younger, I preached on this and I focused on really the desperation or the desire to break through the roof, right? Don't let anything stop you. I think that's kind of what Furtick does. It's like, you can achieve your dreams, just bust through that roof. And so like, I think those three ways are all real ways to approach the passage that all that stuff's happening here but as I've been reading through Mark and preaching through Mark I, it seems to me that that's not the main point of Mark's story the main point is the words of Jesus here the main point is what happens with Jesus Jesus says so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins and I believe that's the point because Mark is obsessed with the authority of Christ. We've, he's shown his authority over the Word of God, because he is the living Word of God. He's shown his authority over demons, because he created demons and he has power over demons. He's shown his authority over sickness, because he created the body and he can set it right. Now he is showing his authority over our past. And so what I want to talk to you today about is a God who has power, over your past a God who has power over my past who has power who has authority not just over my future but over my past he has power to forgive sins and so because so many of us I think even though we may come to Christ we're still dealing with a lack of healing about our past you can be forgiven, you can come to God, you can have a great experience with God, you can start coming to church but still have a lot of hurt, a lot of sin hanging around from your past. And I believe that God wants to do something today in your heart that separates that, that cancels that, that ends that. And so I think the physical healing of the story is wonderful. I think the tearing through the roof is wonderful. I love that. Uh, not, not throwing shade on, on, on any of that. I love carrying the man to Jesus. But I think the real point is what Jesus does when the man is brought to him. He displays his authority over the man's past. And we don't know what the man's past is. And I think that's intentional. Because this is not supposed to be relegated only to people who have particular kinds of sins. Otherwise, the rest of us would feel left out. This is to all of humanity. This is to all of us, whatever you have dealt with, whatever you have struggled with, whatever has paralyzed you, 
Whatever has crippled you, whatever has left you at the mercy of other people carrying you, this is the thing that Jesus is dealing with. And he looks at the man and he deals with it directly. And so I want to, I want to have four points today just to talk to us about how this man shows us sort of a path toward healing from our past. And the first, the first step is desire. There has to be a desire to get to Jesus. And this is where the man who's on the blanket, I, I don't know what his desire is. I can't see his desire. He doesn't say anything in the text. He doesn't really do anything. He can't do much. He's just there on his blanket. But we do see the desire of his friends. His friends come to the door, and you can always tell your level of desire when you are met with discouragement. Because the question is not, what are you ready to do when you're gung-ho, coming out of the, the, the tunnel, or the huddle, I'm in football terms. Like, the question is not, well, how, how, how excited are you when things are going well? The question is, what do you do when you meet uh, disappointment? You come to this house, apparently everybody's coming with expectations that Jesus is going to be able to do something for this man. And you've carried him all of this way. Apparently he's too big to fit through the hatch, so he's not exactly, you know, 110 pounds. Uh, you've carried him all this way. Four guys have been, have been carrying him all this way. You've come all this way. And then you get to the door and you have difficulty. You have disappointment. You have trouble. They, the, the folks at the door won't let you through. It's packed. You can't get in. Then what do you do? You can always tell your level of desire by how do you respond to difficulty or disappointment. They could have, and I think many of us would have, thrown up our hands and said, well, I'm sorry, buddy. Today's your, not your day. I guess we're going to go home. Because we, we met resistance, because we met difficulty, we met disappointment. We've had people uh, visit City Chapel, and they'll, and they'll tell us, man, like we, we tried to visit last week, but we drove around the parking lot. We couldn't find a space, you know. And uh, it is, it is kind of an issue, which is why we'd love to have a new building, we have more parking, and uh, more space for ministry. But, you know, it is kind of a, a, a deal. But then there are other people on the same day who miraculously found a parking place. Because they like pulled in the grass and like parked on the side and like little fire lanes and stuff. And uh, no, not fire lanes, but they're doing things. No fire lanes, none at all. But uh, they're around this little curve thingy up here. And uh, Ro, for instance, my wife, like she used to park uh, right next to the dumpster in the grass. Until we started getting flat tires a lot with nails and screws. And I was like, babe, like, could you maybe like, not park there? I don't think it's a good place. And so now she's parking somewhere else and it's a little bit better on our, on our tire budget. But, and like, but I mean, like folks at City Chapel, like, we'll park around in different various places and walk for a little ways. We've had people park at the school and walk over across the way. Why? Because when you're, it, 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 it's, not, it's not a shameful thing. It's just some people are more hungry than others. Some people are more uh, determined and desirous. The level of desire is just higher to meet with God. The level of desire is higher. The level of desire, they, they, won't, be, they won't be pulled away by sleeping in. They won't be pulled away by, by going to the lake, by going to the beach. They won't be pulled away by other options, but they are driven, they're desirous to be in the presence of God. They'll, 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 they'll prioritize this. And then when they meet disappointment, man, they're so much more ready to say, okay, I'm not going to get discouraged just when I meet disappointment. 
I'm going to go up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try another door. I'm going to try the, the, the hatch and the top. Like we're going to figure something out. And so the first step though is to have a desire to get close to God. And if you have that desire to get close to Christ, then after that, there is this, there's this moment, I believe, where you have to receive the healing that, that Jesus has for you. So they bust open the roof. They tear it up. And they lower the man down, and Jesus sees their faith, which that's, that's interesting. How do you see faith? <laughs> that's right. You see faith by the roof that is missing. <laughs> the lack of roof, roof is the presence of faith. He saw their faith, not like in their face or in their heart. He saw their faith because of what they did. Because they said, if I can tear up this roof, if I can get into the presence of Jesus, I believe Jesus can do something. And it's one thing for you to say that while you sit on your couch and it's like, yes, I believe God can do whatever he wants. But when you actually decide to start, see, the stuff you are willing to lay aside and get out of the way between you and Jesus, that is your measure of faith. You say, well, I got, I got faith. Well, yeah, but are you willing to lay anything aside? Are you willing to break anything up? Are you willing to break through anything? Are you willing to push through like anything? And I see people here at City Chapel who have, God's been calling you to lay things aside, to bust things up, to get rid of some stuff in your life in order to create greater access to Christ. And I see faith. That's what James said. You can see faith. You can see it in obedience, in submission, in action, in sacrifice. You can see the faith in effort. You can say, it's not always success. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, praise God, it's not always success. It's not like I'm living perfectly right. I never make any mistakes. No, that's perfection. That's not faith. He saw their faith in their effort. He saw their faith in their willingness, in their desire. He saw their faith. And so he, in response to their faith, and I think it's the faith of the man, it's the faith of the four guys, it's the faith of the people that brought him, in response to all of their faith, he turns to the man and he says, son. He calls him son. The Greek word there is tekton, which means my little child. <laughs> Jesus is probably younger than this guy. This is, not a, this is not a means of putting him down. This is not a means of, oh, you're, you're, just, you're just a wee young lad. Now, Jesus is like 31 years old at this point. Like, Jesus is probably younger than this guy. But when he says, son, this is a relational term. My child. It's a compassionate term. He, he calls him son, and then he says, your sins are forgiven. And for those of us that have read this story before, which is why I said, man, I wish I could go back to the first time I ever heard this story. But for those of us, those of us who have read it before, we are, we are waiting for the real thing, right? Or the real miracle. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's keep going. But, but Mark doesn't tell us like how long they waited there for, quote, the real miracle. Because I think, actually, this is the real miracle. In my mind, I just, like, to me, the way Jesus has always dealt with me is I have been desiring one thing, and usually the thing I'm desiring, yeah, that's true, but there's this deeper need in my heart, and when he meets the deeper need in my heart, I really kind of don't even care much about the other one. Has that ever happened to you guys? You're like, God, I need this. I need this now. I need you to come through. And then he speaks to me in another way. And I'm like, wow, I guess I don't really need that because now I'm at peace. Now, with or without that, 
with or without the quote real miracle I have a miracle that can sustain me even better because honestly the reason why I wanted that thing is because I really needed this <laughs> in my heart there's an internal thing and I believe that when Jesus said son first off that greeting of endearment that welcome into a father's house <laughs> changed his identity and he said son your sins See, like, we see what's going on with people out here. But we do not see what they're carrying in here. We see a man who is paralyzed in his body being carried by others. But what we do not see is what is going on in his mind, how much his mind is running. And how much he is carrying. And if we're not careful, we'll evaluate people by what's going on on the outside. And we'll say, oh, well, that's what they need, and that's what they need, and that's what... But the beauty of Jesus is Jesus looked at a man who was being carried by others on the outside, who was a burden to others on the outside. But he looked instead not at trying to relieve his friends of their burden, but of trying to relieve that man of the burden that he was carrying. And we don't know what he did. We don't know what multiple things he did. We don't know for how long. We don't know if it's tied to his sickness either. Some people think maybe it's tied to his paralysis. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But, but the bottom line is Jesus saw what everybody else saw, but then he looked beyond that. And he said, inside of you, you are carrying something. And I want to release you of what you are carrying. And so he says, son, not outcast not I'm disappointed in you not I never want to see you again not you're good for nothing not all of the other things that he may have heard from his own father but he looks at him and he says son that thing that you are carrying I am relieving you of that because sometimes we we want to get healed so that we're not a burden to other people and it's really just about us again <laughs> and so Jesus says no 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 like I'm not gonna try to make you not a burden to those around you I'm gonna remove the burden that is within you so that you can be carried and not feel bad about it because as far as we know I don't know if Jesus is actually going to heal him he says son your sins are forgiven and then the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law start thinking among themselves and reasoning. In other words, Jesus, this big scene happens, man lowered, Jesus looks at their faith and he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And I don't know, maybe the guy just broke down. In his blanket. <laughs> just broken down, sobbing because God just released him of the weight that he had been carrying. And maybe all of his friends, and maybe his ex-wife, and maybe all of these people that are up there on the roof looking down, maybe they all start breaking down because they too know what's going on with this guy. Maybe the former people he used to deal drugs to, maybe they all start breaking down because they know what's going on with this guy. See, like we get, we get obsessed with what's on the outside, but God is obsessed with what is on the inside. And, 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 and we would think, oh, well, if he's going to leave him that way, huh? there's no way Jesus would ever leave anybody like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> They're paralyzed people right now. Joni Erickson Tata, right, is paralyzed from the neck down. God has left her that way, but he has done an amazing thing in her. Just, just yesterday I was talking to Romeo. God has left Romeo. 
in a Texas prison, which is not a good place. But within prison, he has done something within Romeo. And, and Romeo's sitting there telling me about how awesome his services are, and they're, they're having like these, these meetings in prison, and, and guys are getting saved, and all, all these wonderful things are happening. And so what I, I, mean, I and, and that's why I love prison ministry, because sometimes when you're free on the outside, you're enchained on the inside, and you're enslaved, and then when you actually get enslaved on the outside, then you finally slow down long enough for God to speak with you and meet you, and then he sets you free on the inside. I've met people in prison that are far more free than people who are outside of prison. You know what I'm saying? And so it's beautiful. I love prison ministry. Ever since I was 21, I, I've jumped into that. And every church I've been a part of, we've had prison ministry. And so I was talking to Romeo about maybe when you get out, maybe we might need to do a little something to reach out to the prisons because, because God sets people free inside. And then later on, sometimes it manifests on the outside, but sometimes it doesn't. Some of these guys are in there for life and they're going to be in there for life. And they're okay with that because they are now free. And sometimes when God sets you free on the inside, it doesn't even matter what's happening on the outside. You're so thrilled to be free on the inside. And I think this guy is so impacted to be free on the inside. See, his body didn't have power, but now his spirit has power. His body didn't have feeling, but now he can feel on the inside. There's some people that their bodies can feel, but they haven't cried in decades because they haven't allowed their heart is so hard. So I know I just imagine this guy broke down. I think maybe his family and friends broke down and they're all hugging and they're reconciling and they're making things right. And Jesus continues teaching. And he's like, yeah, so kind of like I was saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, right? It comes in really small and it just does this amazing stuff. And I don't know what he was teaching on. Mark doesn't even say, but he's just like the service is going on. And then the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders start, start, start mumbling within themselves. They start thinking. They start thinking and they say, they say, first off, they say, this didn't really happen. Right? This is emotionalism. Because unlike being healed from a paralysis, you can't see somebody who's healed from sin. You can't see it. So th they're thinking, this is blasphemy. He didn't really forgive their sins. He just said that he did. Right? And it's easy. It's easy to look at somebody and be like, your sins are forgiven. Catholic priests do it all the time. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going on. Because it's easy to like wave your hand and say, son, your sins are forgiven. But then you see the response and you see the family and you see the... And they're like... It's just emotionalism. This is just, he's influencing people because he can't do that. He doesn't have power to do that. We know he can't do it because he's a human. He's a dude standing right there. And only God can do this. And Jesus, once again, shows his authority. And, and, and this is something, this is the third step, I think, for, for healing from the past. We have to begin to see that healing sometimes before we can believe in it. So these, these, these scribes, these teachers of the law, they're not wrong. Only God can forgive sin. And it would be wrong for Pastor Harry to stand up here and say, Jonathan, you know what? You're forgiven. You're good. You're good to go. Like this, this, this is why I say that priests don't have authority to do that. Because only God 
has authority to forgive sin. It's true. But this is the thing that the scribes don't understand, that Jesus is God. And, 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 and fair enough. Jesus isn't mad at them for not understanding that. I mean, he's a physical guy there, uh, hanging out in person. He doesn't look like God. And so it's fine. And so he says, I'm trying to, under I'm trying to help you see it. And so he, says, so he says to them, he says, all right, so that you may uh, know. And so if we go to that verse, Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, like only God can do any of the stuff that I'm doing. But I said this so that you would know. So that the scribes would know, yeah, but also so that the man would know. Because it is easy to have a, a church service where you feel the presence of God, and you feel the forgiveness of sins, and then you get up, you go back to your life, and you're like, man, I don't feel any different. Am I really saved? Am I really forgiven? And Jesus says, okay, to deal with that doubt so that you may know that I do in fact have power to do what I say that I'm doing, Rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, he gave him a physical, he, he healed the outside only so that they would believe that he had healed the inside. And I believe God wants to do this even today. I believe God wants to do things in our physical life to reveal to us the truth of what he has already done in our spirit man. And so even, even this week, I was praying for Jason. Jason needed a job. Right? And uh, man, Third John chapter 2, the Holy Spirit says, uh, and John says, he says, I pray that you would be in health and that you would prosper just as your soul prospers. And so I pray that. I pray, Lord, I pray that Jason would be in health and that he would prosper as his soul is prospering. Because I see some faith rising up in Jason. I see him removing some things and getting close to Jesus, and I love that. And so, and so this, this is my prayer for all of you, that you would prosper as your soul prospers. That, so in that sense, I'm a prosperity preacher. I want you to prosper and to be in health as your soul is healthy. That as God does stuff on the inside, that then he does stuff on the outside to confirm to you that he has done stuff on the inside. And so I pray for, for John's vacation home, which was right in the path of the, of the, of the hurricane, right there on the coast of, of, of Florida, that, that him and Donna would prosper because their soul is prospering. And so I, I believe that as a witness, not just to me and not just to John, but to John's family and to his relatives and to everybody, all his neighbors that know him, that God can help us to prosper so that people will say, hey, why are you prospering? Why are you healthy? Why were you healed of cancer how did you deal with that so that the, I can say oh that's because on the inside Jesus forgave me of my sins <clears throat> Jesus did something in me and then he did something for me so that you on the outside doubting what he did in me so that you would know that Dave would sell a whole bunch of golf clubs so that people would know what God has done on the inside not that God cares about golf clubs or sales he doesn't care about vacation homes. He doesn't care about, but he also doesn't care about paralysis. This is not on his priority list. But he does want the world to know.
<laughs> he does want all the doubters to know. He wants everybody looking at your life saying, well, they're just, trying, they're just going through a phase. They're just trying something new. They're just trying to work. No, 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 no. You don't understand. God's done something in me. And when he starts to do things for me, you start to ask me questions about what he has done in me. And then I have the opportunity to tell you not about what he has done for me because all of that is nice and it's good. But as I carry my mat, as I walk out of this room, I'm not going to tell you about the paralysis that was healed. I'm going to tell you about the heart that was set free. I'm going to share with you about the moment that my sins were forgiven and he called me son, not stranger, not shameful, not a disappointment. <laughs> and so this is what I believe God wants to do for all of us. And so I believe God wants to prosper our souls. And then out of that, he wants to prosper our bodies so that we can tell people about what he has done in our souls. Because at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. At the end of the day, people don't need more vacation homes or more golf clubs. They need forgiveness of sin. This is the problem. This is what we are facing. This is what the entire world is facing. The entire world is broken under the bondage of sin and they need freedom from that. And they have other things that they think that they need. But at the root of it is this sin issue. And Jesus wants to go to the root and heal the root. He wants to heal us of our past. The power of things which we have done. This is something else, man, in terms of receiving the grace of God. The enemy will lie to you and say, yeah, you can receive the grace of God for like your physical healing because that's not your fault. But your spirit, your sins, that is your fault. So if you got yourself into it, you got to get yourself out of it. Anybody ever heard that before? That's a lie from the enemy. Truth is, if you could get yourself out of it, you would never have got yourself into it. <laughs> and so the enemy tells you, you got to get yourself out of it since you got yourself into it because he knows that you got yourself into it. Therefore, you'll never get yourself out of it. This is a way of trapping you in sin for decades while you try to prove yourself and achieve a certain level of purity so that you can be acceptable to God. No, 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 no. This healing, this comes by grace and by the mercy of Jesus alone. He imparts it to us. We receive his forgiveness. We don't earn it. We don't work at it. We don't try to get better. We receive that forgiveness. And as we receive that forgiveness, then... It goes away from us. It's taken from us. So we have to, one, desire healing. Uh, we, have to, we have to go after it. We have to, we have to set some things aside. And then, then, then we have to be able to see it. And I believe God wants to show us on the outside what he's doing on the inside. Uh, and then finally, I think he wants us to understand our healing, which is different than just seeing it. He wants us to understand it. And he says to the scribes, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man is a title that is used in the Gospel of Mark 14 times. So we're going to see it. Uh, we're going to see it here as we read through the chapters. And it's usually used to reference Jesus in terms of his humanity, his suffering and his, his, his humility to become a man and to suffer for us. But it's not only that. In Daniel chapter 7, I think we do have this verse, Daniel 7, 13 through 14, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, there was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and then to him to the son of man was given dominion that's authority dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion or his authority is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed he says don't you understand that the son of man has power has dominion and the son of man's dominion his territory doesn't end where your mistakes begin his jurisdiction doesn't end where your sin begins your mistakes if you got yourself into it he has authority to get you out of it <laughs> he says don't you understand his dominion doesn't have boundaries his authority doesn't have boundaries so whether it was a sexual uh, thing that this guy had going on or greed that this guy had or murder or lust or drugs or whatever this guy had going on it is not outside of the jurisdiction of Jesus's authority and he quotes it he says the son of man and the scribes would would know oh yeah the son of man that's an Old Testament term that's right all dominion all authority he says don't you understand it's not just over people's bodies it's not just over the Bible it's over your past I have dominion I have authority over that and what's interesting to really understand what Jesus does you have to look at what he said he said don't you understand that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins that word forgive it's kind it's translated sort of weird it's 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 translated forgive but to me that's an odd way of saying it because actually the word means to cast out or to send away because I think like uh, when I think of forgiving like say say Jonathan says something mean to me uh, we were coaching a flag football game yesterday and he had to remind me that Amon Ross St. Brown is not playing this Sunday for the Detroit Lions superstar wide receiver Amon Ra anyway so he might say something offensive and mean to me like that and I just looked at him and I said man come on you don't have to it's like it's like the Cowboys you know we don't we don't have to talk about the Cowboys we don't have to be mean like that so it's like anyway so he might say something mean to me and if I forgive him that's something I do within me for me right <laughs> you're welcome uh, I forgive you right away uh, forgiveness is something I do in me for me this is what people misunderstand sometimes they think if I'm bitter towards somebody like I'm gonna hold them in some kind of some kind of prison like no man they don't even know that you're mad at them you know they're out living their life it's you that you are in a prison of bitterness so when you forgive somebody that's something you do for you you release them from ever having to pay you back you release them from ever having to say they're sorry you release them so that you can go on with your life that's forgiveness so that you can be at peace so that you can be one with God that's forgiveness and Jesus says your sins are forgiven which 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 in my mind means that Jesus is standing there on behalf of God saying the father saying you know what your sins aren't gonna be remembered against you anymore you won't have to pay for them you're good with God but that's not actually what he said he said your sins are sent away from you your sins are removed this is actually a word used for divorce when a husband divorces his wife so Jesus didn't just say hey uh, we're 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 gonna fix the books so that nobody remembers what you did that's not somebody's saying 
Because that's forgiveness, where I am just going to release you, and I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. No, he's saying, he's saying, I am divorcing you from your past. <laughs> Man, 1213, having fun. Is that 1213, or is that the, the younger guys? No, he's saying, I am divorcing you from your past, from your mistakes, from your past life, from your past decisions. I am, I am revoking the covenant you made with your old self. Man. I feel like that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. He doesn't just want to forgive you so that you're good with God. He wants to declare a renunciation of all the agreements you made with your old self. Because you can be forgiven and good with God and then go home and live with your sin. In the same house, you're still married to it. Still wake up every day thinking about it. You still go through your life wondering when it's going to come back and, and take over again. You can't ever get distance from it. And this is what it, this is what he is. He's saying, I am removing sin from you. I am casting it away. I am, I am, I am renouncing the covenants that you have made with it. It is, you are not one flesh anymore. I am divorcing you from, this is not your identity anymore. Stop saying you are this. Christianity is different than AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I am an alcoholic. I will always be an alcoholic. No, 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 no. no. There is a divorce that needs to happen. That Jesus comes in and says, you have been an alcoholic, but that is not your identity anymore. I am divorcing you from the way you used to think about yourself. I am divorcing you from these agreements that you have made with the enemy, with the lies of the enemy. I am divorcing you from that. That is not, your last name is changing now. <laughs> You're not... It's in the same way that when a husband divorces a wife, she goes back to her maiden name. She goes back to her father's name. He says, son, I'm divorcing you from that husband. I'm divorcing you from sin. This is not a part of your identity. This is not your last name. You're going back to your maiden name. You're going back to your father's name. The house that created you, the father that birthed you, that name, you're going to take that name on now from this day forward. You don't have to worry about going home and finding this old spouse of sin there in bed with you because now you are married to a new spouse and that is your true savior. This is why this is the great miracle. This is why this is the big point of the story. Because there are plenty of times when Jesus heals people and does wonderful things for their bodies. We just saw that with the leper and it's really cool. But now Jesus just did something else. He said, son, I am canceling all the assignments that have been held against you. I am removing you from that house. I am divorcing you. I am issuing a certificate of divorce between who you have been and who you will be. And this is where we start receiving true healing from our past. Today is October 2nd. Uh, 
2022. And uh, last night while I was preparing this message, I, I, I realized October 2nd used to be and still is a very special day in my life. Um, for a while, it was like every October 2nd, something cool would happen and for a number of years. Uh, and I was just me and God, kind of weird thing. But it started actually in 1994. I'm going to show my age. 1994, I was 14 years old on October 2nd in Port Huron, Michigan. Um, I, I was saved when I was six years old. I was forgiven of my sins. Like I was good with God. I was made right. I was made good with God through the blood of Jesus. And that was wonderful. And really, I got saved, like I said last week, multiple times within a week because I just didn't want to go to hell. And so I said, Jesus, just take the wheel, you know. And so I, multiple times, I'm six years old. Then I'm seven years old, and I have this, this beautiful vision of Jesus. And I start reading my Bible and praying daily, you know. I was homeschooled, so I had a lot of, a lot of extra time, and I was kind of sheltered from a lot of things, which is actually a good thing, I think, to be sheltered from several things. And so um, at age 12, I felt like God began calling me into the ministry. And um, I was scared to death about that. That, that petrified me. Um, but, you know, I just felt like that's what God was saying to do. And so I preached my first sermon when I was 12. And then I preached again when I was 13. And anyway, when I was 14, though, God really, the summer of 1994, God really started doing things inside of me showing me that even though, yes, I was forgiven, absolutely, there was, I was still married to this, this person. There was still this, it's like, even, even the good stuff that I would do, preaching, for instance, was out of a bad motive. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Where it's like, if you walk with Jesus long enough, you realize that you can, you can change habits and you can receive his grace and all of that, and that's lovely, but these things start keep coming up. And you realize that the problem is not the problem. The problem is me. The problem is there's a resident inside my heart I don't like. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, right? The things I don't want to do, I do. Things I want to do, I don't do. I'm, I'm, I'm double-minded sometimes, arguing with myself. Me and the old spouse of sin, we're getting in fights all the time because <laughs> she doesn't like decisions I'm making and I'm not paying enough attention to her. And, and it's just turmoil in this house. Like my body is a house and there's turmoil in this house. And I began realizing that. And one of the scriptures that, that God really used in my life was 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Wonderful. But it says also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a whole nother level. And so I began saying, Lord, what, what, what is that? How do I get that? How do I, how do I get that cleansing from like other unrighteousness? And I know I've been forgiven of sin and that's great, but there's this not sin, just general pride, arrogance, self-centeredness. I'm always right kind of thing. And I have to like keep a guard on my mouth. <laughs> Otherwise I'll say stuff that is sin. So I got to like not say it and I bite my tongue sometimes. Lord, do I, is this the way I'm supposed to be all my life? Biting my tongue forever? Am I going to have like massive holes in my tongue because I'm just always biting it? <laughs> I remember speaking of football, you know, you'd be watching, watching the game. And especially if it's for the Detroit Lions, which I'm a big Lions fan. It, like like you're, if they're playing against another team and somebody on that other team gets injured. You know, like what happened to... Uh, Dak Prescott or whatever, like a key player goes down. You're not supposed to be happy. <laughs> but you kind of are. 
It's like, man, that's going to give us a really big advantage, right? And so you feel this happiness inside of you, even though that human is hurting, and you're like, you're like, but you can't say it because Christians don't do that, you know? And so you're like, yeah. but I felt that, that fight. My spouse was thrilled about that. On the inside of me, the old spouse of sin was thrilled about, hey, this is going to give us an advantage because all my spouse cares about is us winning. But I am saved, and I'm like, ah, I really should care about that guy. And I do get well next week. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, I'm just talking practical, but at age 14, God began showing me places in my heart. And so I made a decision. Uh, I had a paper out, and I'd be out there on my bike, and I'm like, every time the Lord brings something to my mind, I'm going to stop. I'm going to kneel down at my, at my bike, which I thought was really embarrassing. And I'm just going to pray and ask God to take that out of my heart and deal with it. And um, so for weeks and months, this is going on. And I'm sure the people on my route thought I was weird, you know. They thought I was really tired maybe. I know, I'm bowing down to my, my seat. But, but this is a way that, this is just my way. It's my way of dealing. And reading scripture and, and asking God. And finally on October 2nd, my pastor was preaching about this very thing. And I came forward. I knelt down here at the altar. And I remember my pastor asked me, he said, Harry, this is a faith thing. This is... This is something that we, we receive by faith, this cleansing that we're talking about. And he said, so do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? Do you believe he has power over this? You believe he has power to forgive you. Do you believe he has power over this? And I said, yes. And when I said yes, it was not just a, yeah, I mentally believe it. It was in my heart, I believed it. And I don't know how to explain it other than that. And I felt just this warm, like, shower, uh, invisible shower just wash over my body. Began speaking in tongues involuntarily. I don't know what that was all about. But I just began communing with God. And I, and I sensed that my sins had been sent away from me. Which is why when I talk about this guy, and it's weird, 28 years ago on this day, I was in a the YMCA in Port Huron, Michigan, Lee, on, a, on a wooden altar, kind of like this. And Jesus said, son, your sins are sent away. I know you've been forgiven, you're saved, but now your sins, I'm sending them away. I'm divorcing you from that so that I can marry you to me. And it was just this power. So that's why when I talk about this man, I, I feel it. And I don't know if my body was perfect. I was 14, so yeah, I was pretty much perfect. But even if I had a cold or a paralysis, if I had something going on, I'm telling you, the fellowship with God, the uninterrupted, when you've been trying to fellowship with, with him for so long and you have this spouse inside of you yelling at you all the time, and suddenly that spouse is silenced, <laughs> some divorce is a good thing. Sometimes it's a good thing because it's just not healthy what's going on. And when that spouse inside of you is yelling at you and suddenly the spouse of sin is divorced and you can just sit with Jesus and be welcomed in, that's a beautiful thing. And I believe that's what God wants to do for each one of us. He wants to heal us from our past. He wants to send away who we have been. He wants to divorce those agreements which we have made. But it comes down to faith. And so if we could just pray for just a minute, just, just quickly, I just want to ask you that exact same question. Do you believe that Jesus has authority 
on earth to send away sin, to issue a decree, a divorce, to hand the papers to your spouse of sin who keeps nagging you and trying to pull you back. Do you believe Jesus has the authority to declare the death of this, this covenant? You say, well, I, I don't know. It's my first time thinking about it. Good. Go home and think about it. Go home and pray about it. Go home and read scripture about it. Go home and study the word of God. Go home and read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That if we agree with God about our sins, this is not, it doesn't say if we name out or confess all of our sins, we can't even remember them all. But if we agree with God, if we come into agreement with God about his power over our sins and our sins lack of power to define us, if we agree with God over these sins that he is faithful and he is righteous and he will forgive us immediately and he can also do a deep work of divorcing us from our old spouse of sin. And so Jesus, we declare your authority. The enemy would love for us to believe that you don't have jurisdiction in this area because we messed it up, so we have to live with it. And yet you say the Son of Man has full authority dominion over all regions, over our past, over our present, over our future sins. He has full authority over all regions. So Lord, would you increase our faith so that we might tear through, break through. It takes a while to break through. It's not going to happen in 30 seconds. The yes happens immediately, and that's what God does. But we do have to break through sometimes. You might have to spend the summer breaking through. You might have to spend this fall breaking through. But Lord, you stir up our faith so that we will push and press and get to the place where we, we can hear you say, Son, I'm issuing a new marriage for you. In your spirit, man, I'm divorcing your spirit, man from the old assignments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, if you want to talk any more about this or pray anymore, I'm available and our prayer team's available. Uh, but we're glad that you were with us today and we open up the word of God. And um, yeah, I believe it has power. His word doesn't return void. It does exactly what it's sent out to do. And so we look forward to hearing what God's doing in your life. Um, join us Wednesday night and hear uh, Pastor Jeremy open the word. I have no idea what he's going to share. But uh, <laughs> uh, maybe something from preaching in a parking lot. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it'll be, it'll be great. So you guys have a good week. We'll see you Wednesday night. You're dismissed.